Hello and welcome to the first of a two-part special edition of the Bill podcast with the mighty Robert Hudson. If you're an inspector or chief super patron of the podcast, you will have enjoyed Rob's audio commentary on his fantastic episode, Fatak, which recently topped the Billiton's poll for the most memorable episode of the Bill ever made. In that commentary, Rob also discusses his early life and going to drama school. You can also read those memories in Witness Statements, my book celebrating the first three series of the bill. So coming up in this two-part podcast, we're going to be focusing on the Barbie Road half-hour episodes of the bill. Although before we get into those, we do a deep dive into the hour-long bill episodes. So you can hear Rob bring to life some of those fantastic memories he shared for Witness Statements. And you get a sneak peek of what you might be able to expect in Witness Statements 2. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some gold dust from a true Sun Hill legend. It's amazing to think the bill was your first telly, and there you are holding your own with, you know, John Salthouse and Eric Richards. Yeah, I learnt a lot from them. I mean, I was lucky that, I mean, when I, the first ever episode that I filmed in the bill, my first ever line on television was the doctor's ear Sarge. oh wow <laughs> and i had to knock on the door open the door and eric was interviewing liz smith as it happens uh, in a in a scene and i had to knock on the door say oh the doctor's ear Sarge," because he'd called the doctor to to see to her and that was my first line on television wow uh, and i was in I mean, that, that first episode that I did, I was in a lot of scenes like walking through shot and carrying papers and stuff, but I had no idea what being on a set looked like. Uh, and I must have tripped over every cable that it was possible to trip over on my first day. <laughs> when you first act on TV or screen, when you first act with a camera, it's to have the confidence not to do anything. It's to just be. Just think it and it will it will register. You always tend to want to perform and just push it a bit. My dad calls it mugging. Uh, <laughs> there you go. You just look at it. You laugh back of your bed. You're saying, get me. I'm thinking this. I'm thinking that. You don't, you don't need to tell them. Just mm. do it. Mm. I've directed kids in, in theatre groups and stuff. And I said, the thing is, I said, if you're, if you're talking to your friend and he's getting really angry about stuff, you see it. He's not jumping up and down going, I'm really angry at that. You see in his eyes thinking, oh, I best shut up, he's getting a bit, he's going to explode in a minute. You know that just by looking at him. And that's the thing with camera. Yeah. He picks it up. I says, and the difference is when, you, when you're on stage, I said, don't, you don't have to be bigger because you to reach the back row. I says, just, you, then it becomes body language. Make sure you're looking away when they say something so that then you can look round back at them and audience will pick that up and think, oh, he's not happy. Just have find different ways of projecting what you want to say. And, and that's the difference between stage and, and TV. Were you aware that you were making or that the show was being made in such an innovative way with the long camera takes? and? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that they, they said. I mean, it kind of changed and it went a bit... After I left, it, they messed about with it and I don't think it worked as well. Is that the, the premise was uh, there had to be a copper in every scene. It was about the police. So whatever the scene was, they had to have a, a policeman had to be in the beginning or the end or whatever. And there were no... 
you never showed them at home. You never showed any... You, they mentioned personal lives and the wives and stuff like that, or they might come to the station, but the, you didn't see them at home. You didn't see them any, outside a police environment, and that was the premise. And obviously the handheld cameras, that was in, innovative, mm. uh, um, running around and stuff. And the first three series, they were outside broadcast cameramen mm. because they were used to running around with handheld cameras. Uh, you know, they were used to doing all that kind of stuff rather than just a guy that stands in front of a big tripod camera in a studio. That's, that's totally different. So it, be, it, it gave it that jerky kind of realistic kind of thing. But when you do a long, long scene, it, it, that's when your adrenaline is going because you, you don't want to be the one that messes it up. And was it a case for like the likes of you and Ashley and Jeff Stewart and Nula, you were all in that similar boat where you just had a a sprinkling of scenes in that first series. Was it a case of being patient? And were you all in the same boat thinking this could go, this could go somewhere? Well, yeah, we were all in the same boat, but I didn't see that. I just enjoyed doing it. I just thought, God, TV, you know what I mean? And, mm. you know, I didn't get paid a lot of money in it. And, and I just thought, oh, I'm learning. and This is great. So I was surprised. And then people were talking about the people that you need to talk to to find out what's going on are the makeup and wardrobe especially makeup, because right. they know everything. <laughs> they know everything. And also, they're, they're like a conduit from the producers to the actors. Because the producers and directors talk to makeup and say, what's it like? Because they know what you like, because you come in every morning and they put a bit of powder on and you have a chat and stuff like that. So these actors that swan about and treat people without respect, I'm thinking, you're an idiot, because that will get back to the directors mm. and go, no, we don't like him. And uh, and I got on great with him. I, you know, they thought I was funny as anything. So when, it, when producers, when they were talking about doing a new series, obviously the rumours were going around, oh, they're going to make a new series. I, went, I thought, oh, new series. I wonder if I'm going to do anything in it. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, they were having a chat and they spoke to Makeup and Wardrobe and they said, uh, yeah, we really like Rob. I think we're going to make him a regular. So Makeup who can't keep the mouth shut <laughs> they, they were talking about I was sat there and looking through me and they were chatting away and stuff and they said oh I said oh I've heard that they're going to do a new series and they went yeah and like nodding at me and winking I went what they went yeah they are and you know <laughs> nods as good as a wink to a blind note I'm going what are they talking about here what's good yeah oh, we're, we're probably seeing you next year then Rob you know what I mean I'm going what's, what's happening here when you do come back, I mean, they give you uh, your first big episode. It's called Home Beat by Chris Russell. Yeah. And yeah. Um, when when you were coming back and the character expanded, what what appealed to you about playing Yorkie and, and how similar are you to Yorkie? Uh, very similar. I mean, it's funny you should say about Home Beat because I turn up for the first day of, you know, the read-through for the first episode of the second series. And, you know, I think, oh, I've got a few scenes in. Oh, that's nandy. And then Peter Grigine came up to me uh, in the canteen, who was now the executive producer, and said, uh, he says, oh, Rob, can I have a word? I says, yeah, I'll put it, Pete. He says, uh, so, as you've noticed, he says, we've given you a nickname, Yorkie, because, you know, part of the thing. I went, oh, that's great. He says, and uh, so that's how it's going to work. I said, fine. And then the director came and sat at the table. He says, oh, Rob, he says, I'm directing Homebeat, the next one. Uh, have a read of the script now and see what you think. I went, oh, okay. So I picked up the script and it was page after page of me. I'm going, <laughs> what, what, 
what's happening here? It's, it's just me. Checking Cobra, I went, hold on a minute, I've, I've kind of left, I've kind of, where's the middle bit? I've missed, I've seemed to have missed a chapter out in my life. <laughs> I've gone from the odd scene and that to like, yeah, it's all about you. Ah, right, okay then. I mean, obviously, the, when you get a script, it's, it's way more than would be shown it's in case they need to cut stuff out, you know, cut stuff out and edit it and that. So they always shoot over an hour's worth of stuff and then pare it down. So it was me doing it. And, and, and one of the scenes in that, I was walking around and I was in a state with uh, Mark Winger uh, Carver and these kids were playing football and the ball comes to me and I pick it up and I go, oh, it's Verard, he's got the ball, he knocks it to Chapman. And, like all Wednesday players, I thought, how does he know that? And I, and I saw... The uh, the writer says, "Why did you know that?" He says, "I was talking to you once, and you said, you know, you were from Sheffield, and I asked you who you supported, and you said Sheffield Wednesday." So I thought I'd work it in. I thought, "Oh, that's brilliant that that he's he's worked it all in." I mean, it is it is basically me, but I I don't think I'd have enough patience to be a copper, to be honest. I mean, de- you're dealing with some right muppets off the time, and <laughs> I just think, no, I don't think I could cope with that. <laughs> but it was, I mean, and the the thing is about the home beat, they wrote that and then realised they'd kind of made a mistake because if you were the home beat officer, that's all you did. You just did a home beat. And they were saying, well, Mr. Tricky, we can't have him just on home beat because he won't be in anything. And we need him because he's a big lad and we need him to get stuck in. So they kind of they kind of didn't mention the fact that I was a home beat officer after that so that I could do all the stuff. But I did do a, I did do a lot of things with old age pensioners and stuff like that, and on the bay, you know, stuff like that. But they, they didn't actually say I was a, because coppers were saying if he's a home beat officer, that's all he does. Right. He just wanders around checking on people. He doesn't. He don't get called in to do all the other stuff. So they said we can't. We can't have that. And in between the second and the third series, like there was a bit of a gap, you know, before yeah. you moved to Barbie Road and. And then you started doing other tellies, like a Dempsey and Mate piece and a Fresh Fields. Yeah. Well, it must have been a very exciting time in your life where your career's taking off and, and was the bill opening doors for you? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, my agent was, you know, putting me up for stuff. So I just kind of went up for stuff. And they were all like little small parts. But it was just good to work with, with different people. And I was just a sponge at the time just picking up all sorts of different things. I mean, oh, yeah, do that. And, and the camera never never bothered me because I'd, I was so used to it on the bill that it's, it's second nature. You, the weird thing is when you're filming stuff, you know where the camera is. Even though it's behind you, you kind of know where it is. So you know not to block the shot and not to... And you ask the right questions. You, you can always tell somebody's never worked because they, they'll do the scene and they'll they'll favour the camera all the time and uh, you do, don't do that you, first of all you ask the director how many shots are you doing are you doing a master are you doing cuttings and if he says oh we're doing we're going to do reverses we're going to do cuttings which is just like they'll film it again we're just on you so that's when you that's when you give your performance you don't you don't need to do it in a master and start favouring the camera because if you favour the camera in a master shot looking to the left it won't cut if they're doing a cutting you've got to keep looking left and, and then that's not the best that's not the best way of, of, of uh, portraying what you want to portray so I always used to ask the right questions 
and plus where's the shot is it medium is it close up is it this because then you then you know what to what or not to do with your hands because it's all got to match you do the same scene over and over again from different angles well you can't be doing different things every scene whereas in theater it can be different every night you know and hitting the marks and stuff like that you work out ways of doing it that looks natural rather than looking at the floor and you've got to hit you've got to stand at these marks because the slightest movement you're out of shot or you're off in shot and so i mean what i used to do is, is when they put the marks i'll stand on the marks because is, is this the right they go yeah then i'd walk backwards like three steps so that i don't have to look at the marks i know that if i walk three steps i'm going to be stood on the marks it, it, it's tricks that you that you pick up as you as you go through life. I mean, like I said, the first time I was on a set, I was banging in, I was walking into things. I didn't know what was going on. It's a circus, and you have to you have to uh, take yourself away from that and just concentrate on what you're doing. But it, it's tricky when you first start out because <laughs> you have no idea what's going on. And uh, one of the things I used to get shouted at is, I used to see actors on set shouting makeup, wardrobe. I think, well, that's a bit. A bit rude, isn't it? Doing that? What are they doing that for? So I'm I'm doing a scene and a thread had come loose or something. I thought oh, I've got a thread through. I'm going to find wardrobe. So I wandered off to try and find wardrobe. Obviously, they go right. Let's go for it. Where's Rob gone? Where's, where's, has anybody seen Rob? I said, I don't know. Where's he gone? And then I'd be wondering why I'm going. And then suddenly they appeared. Where'd you been? I said, I was looking for wardrobe. They were, they're over there. You don't move on set when you're on set. Don't move. That's why you shout. I went. Oh, got you now. Got you now. Yeah, okay. Rob's wandering about looking for wardrobe. No, Rob, don't be doing that. We're on set. You'll stay where you are. They'll come to you. Oh, you mean, that's a bit rude. He went, no, Rob, that's what they get paid for. Shut up. Just do what you say. Just do what you're told. I said, oh. yeah, okay, then. no problem, mate. When you moved to Barby Road, where were you living in London? Or was that an easier commute for you? Was that good or bad or...? When we moved to Balby Road, I was living in North London, in uh, Stoke Newington. So uh, it was, the thing is, it wasn't so bad because we had to be there so early that driving there, we were kind of, we'd, we missed a rush hour. And plus, once we get into town, we're going out of town and everything's coming in at that time. So we were leaving early enough to get there because we'd have to be there at like half seven. We weren't obviously. If you've got to be a bit uh, get there later, then you've got to you know make preparation for it. But um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, Barby Road was, I mean, massive compared to um, the highway, which is where we filmed, like behind St Catherine's Dock. It was massive compared to that, and it was like it became the Bill offices. That's where every you know it was separate. Although it was still Thames, it was kind of separate from Thames. They had the offices there that. You know, where the scripts were printed, everything it was like one big, uh, one big place. Must have been a very exciting time in your life. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I had, in a way, I mean, I suffer anything. You don't appreciate it when you're young uh, until it's not happening and that. But I, it was just, like I said, I was just a sponge. I just wanted to learn, and I learned so much in the first series from Eric and John. I mean, they were. I can remember watching Eric do a, a scene and he was on the phone to somebody and I, I watched him going I know exactly what the other person's saying just because of what Eric's doing I thought that's clever that's he's so naturally so real and and they kind of took a shine to me and took me under the wing and stuff and I, I became really good friends with him and 
and and uh, I, I just learned so I, I just watch other people I think actors learn if you've got anything about you you learn by watching other people don't copy other people whatever you think they do that's good try and then try and mix it up with what you do with what what's good for you don't you know, I've I've told kids and stuff. I says it's no good watching Robert De Niro thinking I'm going to do Robert De Niro because you're not do you you're painting it on. You have your own way of working, and then if you watch them, thinking, oh, that's clever. Yeah, try and import it. Try and bring it to what you do. Don't just forget what you do and do something else. I mean, that's the thing about you know the <clears throat> the whole method acting philosophy. You know, Brando did what he did because it was Brando. And, you know, everybody, you know, the way he looks away from... Yeah, he used to look away because he never knew his lines. He had his lines stuck up everywhere. That's that's what Brando did. And all that kind of scratch his armpit and stuff like that. Oh, that's brilliant. But don't just think, oh, scratch me, Eddie, because it looks good. The thing is, if you're Eddie, you scratch it. Yeah. If it doesn't, don't, don't. You know, the other way, he's like, oh, my head's, my head's scratching. I didn't scratch it. I'll just carry on talking. So, no, just be as natural as you possibly can. And don't copy, don't, you can't copy naturalism. Mm. It looks, it looks wrong. Just try, I mean, I know it's difficult, and you know, and, uh, but I've been in business 30 odd years. If I don't know what I'm talking about, then they might as well not bother, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the biggest change for the cast when he went to the movie in the half hours was that John Salthouse left and... Chris Chris Ellison came in. So what 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 your memories of working with those two and how similar or different are they as performers? Very different. I mean, Chris came in because he did he did an, a couple of episodes in one of the in in the in the hours playing the same characters, dislike off. They thought he were bent and bloody bloody blah, blah, but it was just a bit different. So John left. He said he didn't want to do off. So Chris came in, and everybody thought he was a bit standoffish and I didn't I got on well with him and uh, and I mean one of the funniest things was when uh, remember the episode where I got held hostage in a bank yeah uh, towards the end uh, that was a bit of shame that because they cut out there were loads of scenes in the bank where I had a gun held to my head on my knees and they cut it out because it was after Hungerford so after we filmed it they said we can't show that we're gonna have to show some we'll have to cut out the scenes which which in a way was a shame because you didn't see what Yorkie went through so that when he got into the van after he was talking to uh, Chris Ellison and Chief uh, Inspector, why he was in the state that he was in. Right. You never okay. saw that, so it was a bit of a... a sh- I mean, for me, I plan my journey mm. and, and, and act accordingly. Well, if they suddenly cut out what I've done... There's, there's no reason for me to be like I'm at the end of it kind of thing. But, I mean, that's by the by. But I I had a load of scenes in the back of the van with Chris and the Ben Roberts. And it were also, the, we, did a, we did it all in one day. So we were going stir crazy. We were just us three in the back of the van doing these scenes. And I'm all trauma, traumatised and stuff. And it got to the stage where we were like three school children messing about. <laughs> just acting daft. <laughs> because we were going to Chris and we were just in between takes because oh, so, 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 and yeah, and the doctor is saying, lads, lads, for God's sake, keep it together. You've got yeah, 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 and then giggling like little kids, and it was great that Chris was like that. After you know, and people thinking, oh, Chris Ellison, he's right hard and he's this and he's that. I'm thinking, no, he's just like everybody else. He's you yeah. know, I got on great with him. I just sense getting well with anybody really, but uh, yeah, I mean, he had this image of. You know, he's this is Chris Ellison, and don't mess with me and that. But 
if you're right with people, they're going to be right with you. That's mm. the way, that's my philosophy. Well, you all had such chemistry at that time. I mean, who are your who were your pals, and did you all socialise with each other when you weren't filming? Yeah, we did. Uh, we used to go out for a drink on Fridays and that. Uh, when we were doing the half hours, me, uh, Eamon, and uh, Nick Redding, who played Ramsey and he played Haynes, he's now in America doing loads of stuff. Um, we were big. We were big mates. Uh, and they used to call us three caballeros. <laughs> and they, they used to laugh. Are you three out tonight, this weekend? No, no, no. I knew for well that we weren't going to go out and stuff. And then we'd <laughs> turn up on Monday. What did you get up to there? Yeah, no, really, no. Oh, it's funny because somebody saw you in Browns, that big nightclub in town. I went, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. They went, oh, really? <laughs> so I used to hang out. And early doors, I used to hang out with uh, Chris Walker a lot. I was in Doctor's. We were, we were big mates, and because we were both Yorkshire. I mean, uh, when, when I got to know Chris, and we because uh, he's from Emsel, which is not far from me anyway, it's near Doncaster. So there was a scene in the canteen where the camera pans down the people queuing up and stops on the two people talking at the front of the queue about the case or whatever. So the director says, right, come down. He says, just think of things to say as you're talking. Da, 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 da. And then, then he said, uh, he says, well, I know what's a good idea. He says, Rob, Rob and Chris, now, you're both from Yorkshire. I said, yeah. Why don't you just talk like you do normally? You know? <laughs> I says, what? Well, you're only broad. Yes, that's been really good. It's marvellous flavour. I said, are you sure you want us to be broad? <laughs> yes, yes, it'll look marvellous. So me and Chris went, OK, fair enough. So camera pans down and we says, now they saw it. What did they do with the knees? <laughs> well, I didn't go out. I mean, I didn't do it. He went, cut, cut, cut. Sorry, didn't understand a word of that. Um, <laughs> maybe go back to how you do in the show. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Brilliant. I mean, we knew. When he said broad, we were giggling, going, we're going to give it some rights. <laughs> we were like, guess. <laughs> 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 anyway. uh, he didn't quite catch that. Um, what, did, what did he say? He says, I don't know. He tell us to talk properly. He says, don't be telling us to do broad things, you know. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> and the funny thing is, when we started doing the half hours, they kind of made a ricket with the... Because there were two episodes were filmed at the same time, uh, two separate units. And they said, you know, you know it's quite good if, if you just walked through shot in one episode. And that's all that would keep the flavour of the station. So if, you'd, if you've got a lot to do in one episode, you don't have any, much to do in the other. So they might just call you in and say, oh, just sat in canteen having your breakfast or whatever so that you know we every everyone we know it's the station it's the same shift but the first the first week of filming of the half hours i was the main storyline in both episodes <laughs> yeah. so i was i would not, not only is one episode shot upside down and all over the shop i'm doing another one as well so and if one unit gets in front of the other i was doing one scene upstairs in in a, in a uh, conference room where I'd been shot at and I'd got cut some bros and stuff and I went straight out of that to film scenes downstairs in a different episode where I'd been knocked unconscious and I was like having to report that kind of thing it was like Robocop I went what's happening here <laughs> I mean I was literally never not non-stop every day I was in every scene whether it be one episode or another just going from one to other I mean I thought my brain was going to explode <laughs> and Pete called me in the office afterwards he says yeah Rob now we kind of made a mistake there didn't we I went yeah you, the whole thing was you were saying at the start you made a big figure saying if you're in one you're not in other 
He says, yeah, we did. We kind of didn't realise that. That other episode should have been a week after. And he says, how did you find it? I says, uh, yeah, I said, it a bit. at one point I had no idea what I was doing. I, I mean, I, I just looked at the scene and played the scene. I didn't know what, what episode it was from. I just knew what I was doing in that scene. Wow. He says, yeah, don't worry, that won't happen again. I said, yeah. Uh, and they've managed to sort it out, so you were either doing one or the other. But uh, it's, it's such a big learning curve. Christopher Russell wrote you uh, another cracking episode called A Good Result, where you go undercover with a gang of football hooligans. That one's a cracker. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was originally uh, an hour-long episode. And it was obviously bigger because it was after the war shed, you could show more and stuff like that. And they didn't get chance to slot it in. So then they decided to pare it down and obviously not show, obviously can't have as much violence in it uh, before the watershed. Mm. But uh, <clears throat> I did love, I did love doing that. Um, and of course I got, I got to not wear a uniform. And it's like, they went and bought me some nice clothes and stuff like that. And I mean, when I, when the guy kind of slashes my arm, it was a lot more, in the hour, hour longs. It was a lot more violent, obviously. But in, in saying that, I thought it was a really good episode. I thought, yeah, they, they've got the main elements of what, what it would be like, because at that time, football hooligans weren't like skinheads. They were all dressed smart, and they, it was very organised. The people that organised these punch-ups, they, they don't do it at grounds. They go, right, we'll meet them there, and we'll do this, we'll do that. And, and that was what that was all about. But I did... I did enjoy doing that because, as I said, it was something totally, it was something totally different to what I'd done before. Mm. And I think I think Peter Diamond was the fighter ranger. Yeah, there was a great. I mean, he worked great. Where the normal police didn't know I was undercover, so there was a, like, a big fight in the market, and I go running through, and they burst out of a of a van, and one of the coppers gives me a right right hook, and it looked really good. It did look like it hit me. I mean, it, it did look brilliant that, and now I got staggering off and regroup with other lunatics. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that the the scene in the market was really well was really well done. There'll be more gold dust to come from Rob in part two of his podcast. If you'd like to read more memories from Rob and indeed forty cast and crew from the early years of the Bill, you can do so in my book Witness Statements: Making the Bill, Series One to Three, which is available to order on offer from my website DevonFireBooks.com, where it's available for international shipping. Thanks for your support. Take care. Bye for now. Hello, this is Ben Payton and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Alana Dewar, Dan Evans, Sarah Kuyper and Alex Mottler. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Chris Booth, Sonia Burton, Daniel Christopher, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Aaron Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went, and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events.